Today we're going to continue our worship series entitled United We Love and we're going to be talking about the Lord's unstoppable power. Let's turn to Mark 5 and let's stand for the reading of God's Word. We'll begin with the 25th verse. And a large crowd followed him and pressed in on him. Now there was a woman who had been suffering from hemorrhages for 12 years. She had endured much under many physicians and had spent all that she had, and she was no better, but rather grew worse. She had heard about Jesus and came up behind him in the crowd and touched his cloak, and she said, If I but touched his clothes, I will be made well. And immediately her hemorrhage stopped, and she felt in her body that she was healed of her disease. Immediately aware that the power had gone forth from him, Jesus turned about in the crowd and said, Who touched my clothes? And his disciples said to him, You see the crowd pressing in on you. How can you say, Who touched me? He looked all around to see who had done it. But the woman, knowing what had happened to her, came in fear and trembling, fell down before him and told him the whole truth. He said to her, Daughter, your faith has made you well. Go in peace and be healed of your disease. While he was still speaking, some people came from the leader's house to say, Your daughter is dead. Why trouble the teacher any further? But overhearing what they said, Jesus said to the leader of the synagogue, Do not fear, only believe. He allowed no one to follow him except Peter, James, and John, the brother of James. And when they came to the house of the leader of the synagogue, he saw a commotion, people weeping and wailing loudly. When he had entered the house, he said to them, Why do you make a commotion and weep? The child is not dead, but sleeping. And they laughed at him. Then he put them all outside and took the child's father and mother and those who were with him and went in where the child was. He took her by the hand and he said, Talitha kum which means little girl, get up. And immediately the girl got up and began to walk about. She was 12 years of age. See the connection? At this, they were overcome with amazement. He strictly ordered them that no one should know this and told them to give her something to eat. This is the word of God for the people of God. Thanks be to God. You may be seated. One of the significant finds in this ancient city of Magdala was the synagogue in that town. And so I'm going to show you one more slide of the synagogue in Magdala. As Mark's story begins, Jesus, the great physician, is on his way to make an emergency house call. And he's on his way to this synagogue that um, he perhaps frequented many times. 
It was a teaching place, and the people there in this scene already know him as teacher, right? Don't bother the teacher, they said. Jesus was not only a teacher, but he was also known as a healer. Therefore, the crowd that met him there on the, on the road. And so Jesus is on his way to the synagogue where he has teached, where he has taught before. And he probably knows not only Jairus, who is the leader of the synagogue, but he probably knows the little 12-year-old girl. He's probably seen her playing there in the synagogue or outside many times before. And yet on the way, he's interrupted by this one who so desperately wants to be healed. She's been sick for 12 years. She hadn't felt well in 12 years. She's been bleeding for 12 years. For 12 years, she's been considered by the Levitical law as being unclean. And against the law for her to touch anyone or she would make them unclean. What an outcast she was. And yet when she comes up with her own scheme that all I have to do is touch the hem of his garment. Perhaps just like the artist said, she comes up behind Jesus. But she's pushed down by the crowd and and she touches the hem of Jesus' garment as she's being trampled in essence. Who knows? That could have very well happened just like that. But however it happened, when the touch occurred, Jesus said, who touched me? Who touched me? And the crowd stopped and the disciples heard him say such an outlandish thing. And they said, who touched you, Lord? Everybody's touching you. Everybody's crowding in on you. How can you say, who touched you? And he said, someone touched me. He felt the power come from him. It was significant. It was like a power surge and Jesus knew it. And the woman who knew that she had been caught in the midst of her holy scheme, comes forth and tells Jesus the whole story. And then Jesus says to her, Daughter, only one time in the Bible does Jesus refer to one as a daughter. This one. Daughter, your faith has made you well. You know, as much as the touch was so powerful to her, think about how powerful it was for her who'd been in this state for 12 years of uncleanness to hear from Jesus himself, the teacher, the healer, the rabbi, daughter, daughter of Israel, blessed one, beloved one, you're well. Have you ever been desperately in need of a Powerful, healing, touch. Have you? This story is saying in essence there are two kinds of touches. The first being physical. So often when Jesus wanted to transmit his power of love and physical healing, oftentimes he touched the one. Uh, like the man who was blind and he made that, that mud potion and put it on his eyes he touched his eyes like the little children coming to him he gathered the little children in his arms and like the story that we've just read he takes the little girl by the hand and he raises her to life and we too in the name of Christ as Christians have known love's touch. We've received it as an embrace. Sometimes we've received it as a kiss. Sometimes it's an arm on the shoulder. Sometimes it's a pat on the back. Sometimes it's the holding of hands. But we've received it. 
And we've also transmitted that love through the way that we have touched others. It's lamentable that we are so paranoid in our culture today about physical touch. It's as if we've become touchy about touch. However, there are good reasons for that. And we shouldn't discount them. It's very important that we know that touch has uh, both that healing quality about him and it also can have a, a quality that brings forth feelings of hurt. We need to recognize that. We, we need to be wise about what's appropriate and what are the boundaries that we need to recognize. I like to turn to Ecclesiastes 3 to kind of give me a biblical standard. Where is the preacher in Ecclesiastes says, there's a time to live and a time to die. A time to plant and a time to pluck up that which is planted. A time for peace, a time for war. There's a time to touch and a time to refrain from touching. But a wise person knows and appreciates the difference. And appropriately even asking permission sometimes uh, to allow that touch to be that healing touch. The healing touch of Jesus himself. You know, a pastor friend of mine uh, who went to seminary in, in Georgia said that in his seminary there was a, a, a teacher who was a psychiatrist and his name was Charles Gherkin. He was quite renowned in his field and had written several books and uh, to take a course from Gherkin was a requirement for everyone who who graduated, and this pastor said that when a bunch of preachers were taking a course from Gherkin, it was like a, a, a pastor psychotherapy class all there at once. But he said he remembered one thing Gherkin said. He said, no minister will ever get close to a person if he or she is unwilling to physically touch appropriately and with wisdom, I might add. I also believe that if a person is not willing to touch a homeless person, an alcoholic, an immigrant, someone who is dealing with physical pain, the loss of a relationship, then it's hard to minister to them. You know, this week I was thinking about this past week, I was thinking about this sermon and thinking about my own ministry and the power of touch. And, and the first thing that came to my mind was one of the first experiences that I'd ever had in ministry. In my very first appointment in Henderson, Texas, First United Methodist Church in Henderson, Texas, Yahoo! I hadn't been there very long when I got a call from my dad one night and he told me that a friend of mine a high school classmate was dying of AIDS in Austin, Texas. I hadn't seen this classmate since we graduated. I'd not only been to college, but I'd gotten through graduate school, seminary, and now I was in my first appointment and hadn't seen him in eight or so years. And in, in the middle of the night, I woke up. It was almost as if a voice told me, get in your car and go see Winston. So I woke Tammy up and said, Tammy, I, I've got to go to Austin. I've got to go see Winston. 
So I got in my car and I drove to Austin. I had a meeting that night so I knew that my time with him would have to be very short. Now those of us who remember the AIDS epidemic in the 80s know how frightening it was and how mysterious the disease was. and It was a very strange and painful time. I remember as I was about to enter his room, there were all these precautions. You had to put on um, a gown, you had to put on a, a, a mask, and you had to put on gloves. And I knocked on the door, and I, I opened the door and went inside, and I said, Hello, Winston, it's Stan. He knew who I was. And he extended his hand. And I touched his hand with my glove hand. And I remember he'd just been brought breakfast. And I sat there and we visited for a while. And I fed him oatmeal, which was a painstaking experience. And we visited a little bit more. And before I left, I asked if we could have prayer. And so, so we touched hands again and we had prayer. And I left and drove home, and he died that night. That night! You know, I was so thankful that I'd made that journey, and selfishly I thought, you know, this meant a lot to me because I was there ministering to him. But I also hoped that it meant a lot to him, that touch. I hoped that it had a healing quality in it. Do you know what I mean? Have you ever touched someone and have felt like in the spirit of that touch that, that something's gone out of you? That wasn't you, but the love of Christ in you? Part two of this story. A 12-year-old daughter who was sick has died. Friends came to Jairus and perhaps Jesus is in the midst of this encounter with this first daughter and, and he's, he's hearing her testimony to him and the crowds are around and they're hearing the testimony of the woman and, and all of a sudden these people come from the synagogue and they say it's too late, she's dead. And Jesus turned to Jairus and he says, do not fear, but believe. And so on their way they go, this unstoppable power of love is marching on to this synagogue. I saw the place, I saw the place. And, and, and there, when he gets there, he says to the crowd that's weeping and wailing, he says, why are you weeping and wailing? She's asleep and they laugh. And he kicks them out of the room. I like that part. And he brings in mom and dad and the three disciples. And he took her by the hand. He touched her. And he said, little girl, get up. And she did. And she walked around. And I can just see him out the front door. He says to the weepers and the wailers, Hey, come on in and get this little girl something to eat. She needs something 
to eat. Nothing could stop that unstoppable power of God's love through Christ that not only could heal but raise a little girl from the dead. I've been desperately in need of the power of a healing touch. Have you? You know, 34 years ago this week, I was diagnosed with a form of leukemia that had no cure. And every first week of February, I can't help but think about it. Every year, I think about it. And sometimes I let myself think a lot about it, and sometimes just a little, but I thought a lot this week. I was 26 years old and was told that I probably wouldn't see my 30th birthday. Tammy and I had been married for five years. I was just starting ministry, and our son was six weeks old. And I remember a touch. In fact, I've got a picture of a touch. It's in my office. I'm, I'm kneeling at, at, at the, the altar at First United Methodist Church in Houston, Texas, where I'm being ordained by my bishop, Ben Oliphant. My district superintendent has his hands on my head, uh, James Lee Riley. And, and then my mentor pastors, um, Byron Jarrett and David Wilkinson. They're, they're there with their hands on my shoulders, and their Tammy is behind me. And, of course, I'm just, kneeling, I'm just looking down, and, and I have these touches on my head and on my shoulders. And, 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 and in that picture, though, I can see the concern in the faces of everyone touching me. And that picture's healing because I think about it. Those folk didn't know if I'd be in ministry for a few more months or not. But the ministry I was called to, they were ordaining. And then I thought about the touch of a man who had the very same disease I had, the very same doctor, the very same treatment, and he was dying. I can remember going into his room the night or the day of his death that night. He dismissed his mom. He took me by the hand and he said, don't you worry about me. I'm going to be with Jesus tonight. You get well. God has work for you to do. There was healing in that touch. And, and then I, I remembered the, the spiritual touch I heard in that sermon that Bill Henson delivered. When he said, I pray to a God who heals, God heals some of us in a miraculous way. We'll have to wait till we get to heaven to know what happened. God heals some of us like he healed the Apostle Paul who had the thorn in his flesh that he never uh, had removed. But he could say, God's grace is sufficient to supply my needs. And some of us, all of us, are healed on the other side of the Jordan. For this life is but a part of the story. You know, as many times as I've shared my story through these 34 years, there were two touches that I often left out. I left them out because they were just too strange, just too weird. I didn't want people to think I was a holy roller or something, but now I don't even care. I had a call one day. 
I'd been treated for nine months, and in my cells, 100% of my stem cells had this cancerous chromosome, 100% of them, and I received a call. It was a man I didn't know well. He was in Tammy's Sunday school class. He was an architect. He was six foot five, had a mustache. That's about all I knew. I knew what he looked like. I knew his name was Bill. He called and he said in a non-emotional voice, Stan, I was praying this morning and God told me to lay hands on you and pray for you. Do you want me to come downtown or do you want to stop by my office? I said, I'll come by your office. He officed at his home. I remember as I, I, I got to his door, he was somewhat socially awkward. He didn't even invite me in. I stood there at his door, and I said, well, you know, here I am. And he said, well, thanks for coming. God wants me to pray for you. And he reached out his big old hand. He put it on my shoulder. He was so thin. He had AIDS himself. He died just a few months later. He reached out his hand, and he said, God... I'm praying for Stan, just like you told me to. Amen. I thanked him. I got in the car and I said, what? I come all the way out here for that? And a few days later, a mom called me, said her daughter, 20 years old, had been ironing and felt like God spoke to her, wanted to, her to pray for me. I said, well, I've had an experience recently kind of like that. I guess, I guess that'd be good. Well, that night, Monday night, on a hot, sultry humid Houston night I was going to my car and there her car sat this mom and on the passenger side was her daughter weeping so much she couldn't even she never looked up never looked up I talked to mom and then I got permission to go to the passenger side of the car the window was rolled down and I called her by name and I said your mom said that you were supposed to pray for me she said yeah and then she continued to blubber. I couldn't understand anything else she said. And I said, well, here I am. I'd love for you to pray for me. And she literally laid fingers on me. She, she reached out the window and she, with her thumb and her forefinger, just kind of caught me on the collarbone. And then she prayed and I didn't understand a word she prayed. Not a word did I understand. When she stopped, I just said, Amen. And I got back in my car. What? The very next week, I got the report from my last bone marrow aspiration. And the doctor said, you know, what was 100% is now 85. And three months later, it was 65. Three months later, half my cells were healthy. And three months later, and three months later, until... It was gone. And I can't understand it or explain it. But I can tell you and testify to the power of touch. Friends, some of us here today need that touch today. 
Some of us here today know we need to be the conveyors of that touch to someone else. Pray to a God who will lead, guide, and direct you to touch. And it's not your power that does a thing. It's the power of a loving God who wants to heal us and make us whole. Amen.